What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Welcome to Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I am your host, as always, Blake Law, and this is episode 43 of the podcast. We are very excited you were able to join us today. They say we learn the most from our losses. That is exactly what this show intends to do. We are interviewing elite players who have lost one to two games at a major event, and we're going to break down their mistakes. We're going to talk about how they plan to learn moving forward from those mistakes. How often have you blamed the game on bad dice? We've all done it. I've done it. Brad's done it. The universe itself has done it. Now, you might be asking yourself, hmm, Unbroken hasn't done a Tao episode yet, but didn't this guest just go on vanilla? The answer is yes, but here's why you should listen to this one in particular. Number one, this is about Tao into orcs, which is something very wacky and something I'm very excited to talk about. And number two, Quentin is America's sweetheart, and if you let him down and you do not tune in, he will be very, very sad. All right, we are headed to the Smoky Mountains. So if you hear banjo music, do not run. Come say hi to me instead. Now, this is part one of the podcast. In this part, we'll be analyzing the game. We'll be talking about secondaries. We'll be talking about the mission, target priority, all that good stuff. Tune in for part two, which is available to subscribers at theartofwar40k.com, where we'll be talking about all the strategies, list adjustments, all the things that our player plans to adjust after the loss and what they see moving forward in the meta. We'll be talking about, as always, the elite player mindset. Now, my co-host today, he has gone so long without winning an event that they are planning to do a straight-to-Netflix movie about him called Winless in Seattle. It plans on premiering (laughs) shortly after the Games Workshop event in May. He is the winner of the Michigan GT in 2021. He's a nine-time member of Team USA. He's won Infinity Adepticons. Maybe he'll win Infinity Plus One this next weekend. He has three top eight LVO finishes. He's the Armed Forces GT champion, 2021 ACO champion, runner-up of Games Workshop New Orleans. He is still, to this day, the Prime Minister of Canada because he won Studs and Snotlings, Mr. Brad Chester. Boop, boop. See, I won't run Adepticon this year because I'm not going to play in it because I'm so dedicated to curb stomping you, putting the Hogan leg drop on you in the team tournament that I had to focus on the team tournament. Oh, I finished uh, painting all this stuff this weekend, man. Y'all are done. I'm telling you right now. I uh, I looked at it and I was like, it is finished. It is done. Brad is defeated. We There, there was like a, an angelic choir like singing as it finished because like Brad is done. The day of Brad is finished. Let the day I of mean, Blake reign. Just, uh, I mean, you should check your email because that's where I sent uh, my proof I wanted you to look over of my winning speech for Adepticon. <laughs> so I just want you to make sure you take a look at it. Whenever I win this next weekend, though, I want you to actually introduce me and I want you to just talk about how I was oh, part I will, of the if championship. You, if you win the team tournament over me, I will carry you up there. Oh, perfect. Yeah, I need to be carried. Okay, if we win, you're carrying me. When, when we win, you're going to be carrying me. So... uh I'm going to get you a saddle, actually, because I want to ride you up like a horse. <laughs> do you th- hey, do you think that Tom Hanks will play you in the in the Netflix movie, though? No, it'll definitely not be Tom Hanks. It'll be Uncle Jesse, for sure. <laughs> all right. Well, our guest today, you all know, you all love him. And if you don't know and love him, then I immediately don't trust you. 
He is currently the number one player in the ITC. He has been wrecking shop so far in 2022. He came in second at the Cherokee Open. He made the shadow round at LVO, and he finished fourth last season at SoCal. He finished third at New Orleans, and he finished 20th overall in ITC 2021, Mr. Quentin Johnson. Hello. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. Um, Quentin, who did a better introduction of you? Was it Vanilla or um, Unbroken? I have to know. Too long. Too long of an answer. He's trying to to do damage control. You guys probably... Probably you guys. Wait, it's just I, mean, I actually haven't listened to the Vanilla podcast. <sighs> I'm, I'm upset now. Can we just cut this I, off I, right I, now? Look at, I'm just saying. Sure. I'm not, I'm not even mad. I'm just disappointed. Just disappointed. That's, that's where I'm at, too. I'm, I'm an old man. That's what I'm supposed to be. Besides being, being disappointed and telling kids to get the hell off my lawn. Every, yeah. every day <laughs> I wake up in the morning... And I look at my 40K vision board, and it's just a picture of you in the center of it when you're very angry. And I say, <laughs> how, how am I going to make Brad Chester proud today? That's, As you should be. I have the same I'm thing written, written in lipstick on my uh, mirror when I wake up. It's like, make Brad proud. You know, it's just. <laughs> <laughs> See, I found the answer 90% of the time is hide my hellions. It's just kind yeah. of that. Hide things. Yeah. Brad plays very cagey. Quentin, who's playing you in this made to Netflix, uh, this straight to Netflix movie? Who's who is Quentin Johnson in that movie? Oh gosh, that's a difficult question. I'm gonna go. Uh, you should go immediately embrace it and just say The Rock. Yeah, sure. The Rock is, is, looks exactly like me. Um, he and I are about the same, you know, body size. I'm strong, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. I like that you just put it out as a question. Strong. <laughs> I think that yeah. uh, I think we could work with that. Quentin, you work out a lot. I, would, yeah. I think it's Quentin with a uh, like a pink beard, a uh, pink uh, wig. You know, you put you put a pink wig on the rock, and it's like identical, like same verbatim. Same. Yeah, it's uh, he's just got the shirt that says Quintion Blaster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about this event that you went to, Quentin. Cherokee, indeed. Cherokee was super duper fun. Um, I drove up with uh, Jack Harpster and Mark Perry. Uh, and I stayed in a hotel room with Jack Harpster and Mark Perry. And I lost two games to Jack Harpster and Mark Perry. <laughs> that works. <laughs> yes, it was. It was... Uh, you couldn't even sabotage them because they were your ride home. No, I couldn't. Well, I was there right home, to be perfectly honest. Oh, you could have um, sabotaged them by just leaving. Yeah. <laughs> I should have. Screw you guys. Jack, I'm going to have home. the trophy. You beat me on stream, but good luck getting back to Tallahassee. Yeah, it's like it's like it's like when you're the guy who brought the basketball. You're like, I'm taking my ball and going home. You just leave them. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, no one's having fun fucking it. Well, so, um see, this was a, a cut to eight, correct? This was not an eight game, but it was actually a cut to eight. Yes. And we had player place training here, correct? Correct, yes. It was a, a frontline gaming event. Perfect. How confident were you with going in to the tournament with player place versus GW? You've played on both. Uh, which one do you feel more confident of, player placed or basically static terrain that you already know this terrain set up for? So I play a lot on GW. I play probably three games a week on GW. Um, but the majority of my like high-level competitive tournament games take place on frontline terrain. So in terms of like what I have the most like really good practice on, probably frontline terrain. Um, 
I think I'm better than average at placing terrain. Not the best ever. There are a lot of people who better who are better than me, and you have watched me make mistakes. But I am I'm pretty decent at it. Reps are a big thing, though, in that player place terrain for sure. They, certainly, first time I had a um a player place event, I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, I'm gonna play Drukari, and I'm gonna put all of my terrain on my back line. And then, lo and behold, there was a 24-inch trench between my deployment zone and my opponent's deployment zone. <laughs> you're, like, you're, just, you're putting candies out front. You should come over here. Yes. <laughs> he has three Lord of Skulls, and that was a difficult game. Yeah. I imagine. Imagine. Mm-hmm. So is there adjustments you made for your list, knowing you're going to go into player place terrain? Was there, do you take that into account when you're designing your towel list? Um, now, yes. So the context for me designing... This list specifically um, is that the book had just come out. It was like two weeks old. Um, so we were still very much in the, like, let's figure out what's good and what's not. Um, originally, I was going to run broadsides, but I dropped those with the um, the realization that a good player would be able to position terrain in a way that slow broadsides would never get effective angles on units they weren't expecting me to shoot, right? I, like, I would not be able to dictate the targets of those because they're slow and they don't have fly or anything. So they move five inches and they shoot and you can really easily block those out. So I switched to crisis suits because crisis suits move 18. And so you can get angles much harder and you can kind of get around with a very round frontline terrain. While we're on that topic, uh, explain to people how they move 18, kind of the, the way you get, get that going. Right. Um, so crisis suits base move 10, it says in the data sheet. Um, the cold star has a rule called aggressive tactics. In the command phase, he picks one core crisis, which means either crisis battle suits or crisis bodyguards. Um, and instead of advancing, they add eight to their move characteristic. Yeah. Um, a second unit is a strat called dynamic offensive, where they move auto six. So one unit moves 18, one unit moves 16, the rest moves 10 plus D6. That's pretty good. That's real good. Mm-hmm. Really good. Tell us about the list you brought to the, to the event. <laughs> so this list makes me giddy. Um, <laughs> this list is 252 burst cannon shots the last time I counted. That's um, that's more than three. So it's a squad of crisis bodyguards with air burst and burst cannons, a cold star with all burst cannons, an ethereal with the good stuff, some crew for objective scoring, two identical squads of crisis battle suits with burst cannons and cyclic ion blasters, some crew hounds, a squad of pathfinders in a devilfish, a crisis commander with burst cannons, and a squad of crisis battle suits with burst cannons and flamers, and then stealth suits with all burst cannons. You're a madman. I'm like, you're like, plasma? No, thank you. I want to roll a Yahtzee bucket of dice every time I draw. <laughs> you're um, playing orcs. Effect, effective orcs is what you're playing, yeah. So what I wanted, um, I was really afraid of someone taking 13 custodies bikes and shoving them at me turn one um because that's really scary and i wanted a list that with very little variance would just remove all 13 of the bikes that's fair that's what i wrote um the set choice set traits i took were um calm under pressure and pinpoint targeting so all of those burst cannons went from strength five to straight six within 12 inches and they all ignored cover Oof. so yeah so it's a lot of shots they're all going to get one ap from mont Ka, 
They're going to get an extra AP on sixes from the Ethereal's Warlord trait, and they're going to go to AP three if you coordinate an engagement. So Custodes bites. Um, they're so going to be run everybody uh, through yeah. how you're getting to AP three, the the specifics of each one. So right. Okay. People that don't know. Yeah. So the Tau, like if every unit is the same subfaction rule, um, is called Master of War, and you pick one option of two options because one is bad. Um, we'll talk more about it later. It's actually Decent now into Harlequins. But it's called Monk Cop. Um, and turn one within 18 inches, turn two within 12 inches, turn three within nine inches, you get plus one AP and reroll ones to wound if you shoot at the closest enemy unit. Um, so if you're within 18 inches, turn one, within 12 inches, turn two, within nine inches, turn three. But the game is really importantly played over like those first three kind of critical turns. And because you're so fast, you pretty much get to dictate what is the closest unit when you shoot. Um, so that's AP1. So your burst cannons, they're AP nothing base. Cool. Um, the Ethereal's Warlord trait um, is called Through Unity Devastation. Um, any six to wounds on a core unit within nine inches of the Ethereal, or six or nine, I forgot off the top of my head now, um, is plus one AP. So now we're at AP2. Tau have a strat called Coordinated Engagement, which is you pick two of your units and one enemy unit, and your two units, when they shoot at it, can only shoot that one unit, but get plus one AP. So they go to AP3. Um, so a lot of times what I end up doing is if I have to kill something big, two crisis units, focus fire on it. Or if I don't, I take something dumb and small I don't care about, like the devilfish or the ethereal, and he'll give up his non-existent shooting and the crisis squad gets plus one AP. Yeah, that's fair. Stonks. So we did have a devilfish in this army. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> so... I got a lot like of questions it. in part two. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put that pin note here. I got I got so many questions about uh, things you're taking, dropping, adding, subtracting. But I'll uh, be trying to steal my thunder before I'm the gonna second steal person. it in part one, so you can only have a chance. But uh, oh, we'll, we'll put a pin in it. I'll I'll ask it immediately before Bracken even get a chance. But um, killing me, killing me. I'm excited about so, this list. Let's talk about Mark's list real quick because he's got some shenanigans in here. Yes. So we're starting off. We have a supreme command with Gasgall. And with that, they take the most annoying thing in the entirety of the Orc army, which is Makari. She's like a stupid guy with a two-up, and I still have scars on this because multiple times people just go, especially when I was playing, when I was getting ready for LVO and I took Crusher. They're like, you want to shoot a unit of Hive Guard at Makari? Eh? 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 So Makari being annoying, Gasgol being Gasgol, everything goffs. We've got a weird, weird boy. We've got a knob with Wog Banner. We've got three Squig Hog Boys, two Battle Wagons. I really love this, by the what way. Is the, what does the Wog Banner do? Say again. What does the Wog Banner do? Uh, it is the plus one to hit, plus one to hit or plus one attack. I forget which one. Um, and then we've got two Battle Wagons. I'm going to screw that up, and all the Arc players are going to yell at me, and I know this answer too. <laughs> I should look it up right now. Uh, two Battle Wagons. Three units of three kill cannons with big shooters and the claws. And we get a Vanguard attachment, Warboss on Warbike, Brutal but Cunning to kill a claw, rerolling everything. Sorry, not rerolling, competitive edging everything. Then we've got a unit of Mega Knobs, one, two, three, four strong with just straight power claws. And then we've got a unit of Mega Knobs, which is three, four, five, six, seven, eight strong. That's a lot of Mega Knobs. That's a lot of dudes. And then another, sorry, the, the two, it's five, eight, five. And then we've got two more Squig Hog Boys to round it out, two units of four. This is a lot of big beatings here. <clears throat> yeah. And especially with the fact that you took, while it's a, it's a volume choice, um, 
the battle wagons are very annoying uh, at T8. Yeah, there's a big beaten's list. So what were your thoughts? Go actually, we gotta we shouldn't jump the gun on this. What mission were you playing? And then tell me how you felt going into that list on this mission. Like what were your thoughts? So we're playing mission number 22, which you just told me the name of and I totally forgot it. Um, You're playing conversions. Conversion, right. So this is the one um, where like we had table quarters, if I remember correctly. Um, and what ended up meaning effectively was that our armies were just very close together. Um, there was not a lot of space between them and Mark with player place terrain could deploy on the line, which was not great for me. Um, just because I've played Mark a lot, and Mark's strategy with this list was go fast, go forward, get all my points, and then die turn four and five. He's Ricky Bobby. Um, I was just about to say, Ricky Bobby, yeah. 40K, first you last. Gotta go fast. So I was hoping if I had to play Mark, I would play on one of the ones where there was just a little bit more distance between them. Or that had a bigger, like, secondary, where the, the, there was a big point swing at the end. Because I knew this was going to be a rough game to turn one, two, three, and then I could probably table him and have models left turn four, five. What's rough about turns one, two, and three? Kind of walk us through your thought process on why you look at that and you think Mark's going to have a really dominant first three turns. So Mark is the kind of player who will abandon his home objective. I don't mean he leaves like five dudes behind. I mean, there is nothing on his home objective. <laughs> like zero models. He, he is not like. Are they not? I've seen him do it. <laughs> like zero models on his home objective. And the reason he does this is because all of his models are on your objective. So he doesn't need his because he has all of the other ones. Um, so turns one. Two, three are hard because it's not like he piecemeal stuff out. He puts everything out there. Just his, he overloads you with threats. There's way too much stuff so close together. You know, you can get out of the transports, advance and charge, and you get these decent threat ranges. He's kind of like wannabe Drukari with like two less inches. Um, so you have to respect it, but everything is on the center objectives. It's, it's just a lot of toughness, five, two up saves just in your face. So when you look at that, you think, I can kill this, but it's going to take me like two to three turns to, to get through it. Turns. Yep. So taking a step back, when you look at conversion and you typically play it, what is your thought? Like, how does your army play this mission? And what's your thought, like a standard all-comers approach to conversion with this list? So the Talist I run with all the crisis suits has a very standard, like, setup. And that is you take stranglehold, rod, and to the last, and you just kind of chill there. And anything they put in front of you, because normally it's not their entire army, you just buzz off through and it dies immediately. Um, and you kind of throw crew hounds and solo drones and crew out there. You outflank the crew and wall of near the stealth suits. You get your rods pretty easy. And then turn like three and four. After a fairly even kind of points balance, you rush everything forward, you take the middle, and then the game's over because you have all the objectives and you have great secondaries and pretty solid primary, and your opponent is just dead. So, yeah. chill. 
Tau. Hey. Um, now, with, yeah. this, with this one, what, you, did you take the same secondary loadout they usually take? I did not. I picked really bad secondaries in this game. <laughs> Is this a case that you went, I know that you know that I know that you know that I should take these secondaries and then outthought yourself, apparently? Yes. Uh-uh. So originally my thought was, oh gosh, there's going to be 2,000 points of orcs in my deployment zone turn one. So I probably shouldn't take anything defensive. So I just took bad secondaries instead. Um, I, what you should- your, your mind, my mind now is racing into, man, he took Pierce the Veil and yeah. investigate sites. <laughs> like, I'm like, what did you take, Quinn? No, so uh, the big, really bad one I took was I took a decisive action instead of stranglehold. Um, decisive action is a cow specific secondary, which is hold any three objectives, get four points. But it's only active in the first three turns of the games when Mark is strongest. So what ended up happening was Mark overloaded the objectives for the first three turns. So I got two, but could never get that third one. So I got a, like a four on the secondary, which is bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, I took Rod. About, should I talk about this now? Is this part of the, whatever. Um, I took Rod and then Mark killed all of my like cheap scoring stuff because I put my screens out too aggressively. And I didn't have enough things to be rotting with and be shooting him. Yeah. Because um, when you play Mark, it's kind of a an all-hands-on-deck sort of situation. Um, as Mark put it to me one time, it's the kind of times that your shadow weavers are firing their shuriken catapults. It's that kind of <laughs> yeah. game. Where, like, you check the ethereal to see if he has a pulse pistol or not because you need the extra ball. Um, so, like, normally I can trust, like, Three units of crisis suits and two commanders will just annihilate anything. It annihilates anything, but it annihilates like 75% of anything. The, what's left of Mark's army will just table mine. Um, so I have to be shooting like the stealth suits and the crew and the pathfinders that are normally my action monkeys. And they couldn't rod, so I also got like an eight on rod. Um, and then they picked to bring it down, which is like a secondary choice because like, he has a, a million and one fuels. Yeah. The killer cans, yeah. He he had just he had nine just killer cans. So yes. yes. What did Mark take against you? I assume some aggressive stuff like engage and uh Mark, Mark picked behind enemy lines, um Stalin Good and Warp Ritual. The orc orc secondary where he has to kill more things in combat than you do. Correct. Um and if you know anything about Tau, Crisis Suits, S tier melee unit, they just Got the three attacks and string five hitting on fives. It's really big. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> so you see this. What are your first thoughts on, first off, the the deployment? We'll say deployment because putting your terrain out is literally part of deployment. Were you trying to set up blocking lanes for him? What was your overall thoughts when you're putting that terrain down in your game plan? I was. Um, so I, for some reason, went... Orcs, goths, kill rigs, okay. So I put my terrain down with the intent to block large, like, fighty vehicles that have big bases, right? So that, you know, you have the, you put your two ruins like four inches apart, you put something in the middle, the kill rig can't go through, you're safe for a turn. Um, but Mark had a lot of killicans, which shoot not awfully, and um, mega knobs, which can just, or infantry, so they just go through the ruins. Um, so what I should have done, A, was put my ruins further back, I think. I 
I put my screens out too aggressively. I met Mark where he was. I should have not done that. Instead, deployed further back, kept the screens for an extra turn to be able to do things like rod, and utilized the three-dimensional aspect of the train. We played on the Gothic Ruins board, which if you don't know, has one really big centerpiece that's like 12 inches tall with a ledge. Christus can fly. What I should have done was flip that puppy around so the back half was facing me. So essentially it was an open shooting gallery and just parked all of the crisis suits on top of that and said, you can't charge me. Good luck. Yeah, because if for everybody on that horizontal distance and then the vertical distance for a ruin is five inches. So they'd actually have to go up to still get into combat with you. There's not a second floor. It's like the ground, 12 inches, and then the top floor. Oh, I didn't realize there wasn't a second floor. In that. How do they even? How do they play that? That can't be that because then you can't make an assault. I have no idea. That's what Mark told me after the game. He's like, you should have put your guys up top. Um, but the I should have just done it with the other rooms and just had all the crisis suits just be on the top because it max it makes the charge distance longer. Um, instead, I put them on like the bottom near the ruins, like behind it. Um, I think the bigger thing is I should have just deployed my terrain a lot more defensively. I should have put it further back than what I had it forward. And I should have taken the forest I had and put that forward just to make a couple of units minus two to move sometimes. Yeah, I'm not going to let you had two options for that one. You could either put it in the middle or, I mean, I guess this goes on what could have, could should have, should have for a second, second half. But I'm jumping the gun uh, because you had two options for that, which are actually both good options. You can either put it in the middle or you can just sit on it uh, at the back of the forest with your crisis suits and make it so he's just minus two to get, get you on that one. So the other thing is orc shooting is incidental. It's not bad. They hit on fives. So if you're hiding in a forest, they hit on sixes, yeah. and then it becomes a forest. Yeah, and you make them tough to charge. Because so you have a strat, don't you, where you can actually do minus two on top of that, so it'd be a minus four charge? Two charges, a six, a two strats, so I have my, minus six to charge. That's pretty, that's pretty tasty. Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah, the defensive forest would have been a, a strong point for you at that point in time. Mm-hmm. I have a question about the charge business thing. Yes. I'm doing another, I'm putting another pin there because that's a part tour. But uh, remind me, I want to come back to that. There's there's a lot of shenanigans with that movement uh, stuff, I think. I have a the, I have a buddy who did the max charge distance. We can talk about it later, but it's really funny. You can get like minus 10 to charge. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, well, let's 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 uh, let's let's dive into that deep dive. Steve Joel. Deep dive, put a quarter in the jar, baby. It's been like 10 episodes, man. Oh, I've, I've been so good. There's been no money in that jar. Sorry, Quentin. So, just, uh, so we start off. You're you're not a hundred percent. We'll go into that in part. Do the Bradming, the dark hour after hours. the dark hour. But <laughs> but so you're sitting. You're you're setting up. He's right across from you, and you have bad secondaries. Do you do you realize that you didn't like your secondaries right away? Immediately. Or, I mean, I okay. Set them and then realize they're bad. <laughs> I, I was wondering about it because you were so you're like eh, even before we started recording, Quinn was like, eh, I don't really don't want to talk about my secondaries. I actually had a game today on TTS I was playing, and I just went, we're moving turn one, and you get that feel of why am I why why am I doing this? Why like, am you, I here? Yeah, and then yeah. So there were two there were two games this tournament that I deviated from my rod stranglehold to the last strategy. Can you guess what they were? Two, loss, two losses. Sure. Um, But for real, what I should have done against Mark was taken um, anything, any of the kill secondaries, just murder stuff. Um, And then let's walk through the games because that way we can talk about we can talk about your 
your your things that you could have done that we should have done, and we'll yes. we'll really focus on the the small intricacies of those uh, when we go into part two. But walk us through this game, and then we'll talk about it a little bit more after that. So Mark went first, um, and Which, I scouted all of what? No, I was just I was giving the whole. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, I um. I really, really wanted to go first in this one because I needed the extra turn to start like shooting. Um, yeah. But Mark went first, and I scouted all of my crew and crew hounds out in like a shield around me um, to stop him from like bombing charges into my crisis suits. So he did the Mark Perry art of war thing, um, where uh, I, 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 he used like all of my crew and stuff. There's a baby on the screen. Yeah. Um, well, that's yeah. how Blake makes his living. His baby's actually a model. Uh, they just do uh, lots of centers on eyes. Uh, that's literally how they make their living. I forgot all Warhammer for a second. There was a baby. So you, you have, done, so you have put you're yeah. pushed up, and you have the crude pushed so, up. Are you using the devil fish to push up also, or is it just closing off one of the sides? No, I I kept that back actually because one yeah. of the pathfinders. Um, so I sacrificed. All of my crew and the crew hounds, which was she's so mentioned done, but whatever. So Mark doesn't hit me turn one. He picks up all the crew. He uses the crew to get his extra six inches of movement. You know, he kills it with one, kills all of them with one unit, and then everything pals and consolidates six. Um, so his army is like 12 inches away from mine. Um, which normally for me is like go mode because you know I have a billion shots, everything in my army procs off 12 inches, it's great. So turn two, I push everything out, I get the benefit out of Pathfinders, all the crisis dudes shoot, I got all the buffs off, um, and I kill, like, both the, ba- the battle wagon, I killed, like, eight Squeakhawk boys, I killed, like, three cans, I did four wounds to gas, I did, like, some chip damage to a bunch of other stuff. Um, the issue is that all of my stuff is about 12 inches away from him, and he got out and charged me. Um, and Tower's surprisingly durable, so his turn two, he hits me, and I kind of have about a one-turn get-out-of-jail-free card off, um, like, my shield drones and feel no pain on the lead guy. So I eat his first Meganom charge, and I lose, like, one suit. But the problem is we're now going into my turn two, and Mark has a very firm control of his objective, all of the center objectives, and I'm very firmly pinned back into my quarter. Um, Almost all of my suits are now engaged in combat um, because Mark can ignore charge modifiers, so he sticks his charge with rerolls. Um, and I can fall back and shoot some bit, but I spend two turns kind of digging myself out of Mark's army. I do that uh, turn three uh, and turn four, and I do that by turn four. I'm pretty much tabled to me as like two kilocans and Macari left. Um, but I'm also mostly tabled, and he has a big points lead. Most kind of the tempo of the game now looking back over that i mean obviously you didn't like those secondary choices and you wish you went with uh more of what you usually do but the with your screens do you think you could have kept those all your trash units back uh so he doesn't get that free movement right away on turn one and then just kind of set yourself up for a trash charge basically you know a wall of trash for that turn two when he comes into you. So you would have had an entire extra shooting round. Um, if you Was that a possibility? Obviously, I can't see the board on that, but that's kind of a standard uh, possibility that we could set up, you know what I mean? Instead of, because it feels like he was just getting on you so fast and made a couple of those charges uh, to give him that extra movement. 
The answer is yes. Um, so what I should have done was measured from his deployment zone and just put the crisis suits as, like at distance plus one, right? Like, you know, the telecams charge, I forget the exact distance, it's like 29 inches or something like that. So you put 29.1 and then you don't need the screens. Um, and they kept the screens for turn two. Yeah, I mean, man, those screens, those screens coming out on turn two can actually run up like basically on top of him to really prevent his movement too. Crew are also upset. I could have charged him into like, could have shot the cans down and charged like a solo can or something and swung and swung objective, gotten decisive action. Um, the other thing I should have done was screened my important units with the stealth suits. And the reason I say that is because Mark has enough incidental fire, he can pick up crew, right? Between the killer cams and the battle wagons and the knobs and gas, he killed. I had a squad of crew screening. Um, stealth suits are minus one to hit, and they have a two up in cover. Or sorry, a one up in cover. I was going to say one up in cover, actually. Is that, plus, is that, just, a, is that yeah. just an innate thing uh, to have? Like a, so they, a, a data sheet thing? Yeah, so stealth suits get plus two to their cover save instead of plus one of their cover save, and they're minus one to be hit. So if I had screened with those, I don't really care about the stealth suit unit. It's like 150 points. It's useful but not game breaking if I lose it. Um then he's not gonna clear that with you know Kelican shooting. Um so I could have used them instead of crew. Crew could have come out turn two. I could have been much more cagey. Um yeah, screening better would have been um uh a way to win this game. Yeah, because you you were getting you up so far down in the first place. I'm just thinking to myself that if you came out turn two and it just moved a crew up, advanced up and just made it so the crew get killed, but he gets so little movement. So even if he's not going to shoot, and he's not going to bother shooting him down at that point in time because he actually wants the charge and the consolidation movement. So they kind of do that double screen because not only is he not charging you, but also you screwed up his movement phase a little bit. You know, so you get that that buffer zone, and at the end of the game, you had basically taken everything he had off, and that would be, I mean, one more shooting round of shooting with Tao. Is not yeah, it's not like regular people. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not talking regular rounds of shooting. <laughs> We're talking towel rounds of like shooting. Like table table shooting. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So what I, what I should have done, turn two, um is parked all of my crew like one inch away from his army, and then put all of the crisis suits roughly 12 inches behind that. So we can't get out over the crew, he can't move through the crew. So once he kills the crew, he's still 12 inches away from the crisis suits and they can't declare charges. Exactly. That's exactly what I was talking about on that. I just, and you basically, and another thing we talk about it kind of a lot, not enough of it is that that's also kind of a psychological thing because you can get frustrated and start getting a little tilted, make suboptimal moves when somebody makes a good play like that. You know what I mean? Where you're, you, you feel like you have a, a turn off, you know, especially when you're orcs and you're goth orcs and you're killing crew on turn two and hand to hand, you're like, I feel like we should be hitting something that's been more valuable. You're like, you guys will be good. Crude are definitely your number one priority. What's the, yeah. what's the significance of 12 inches behind the screen? Sorry, this is a total noob question here. Um, so you, you can't declare a charge if you're more than 12 inches away. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yep. So it doesn't matter if you're the foot in the future dude from Harlequins and you have plus six to charge, you just can't declare yeah. the charge. And that's a big so, thing that a lot of people don't realize in that. That is just a base rule book. It doesn't matter if you have a 3D6 charge plus 52, you can't declare anything that's not within 12 inches of you. That's why certain units like infiltrators, for instance, are really annoying to people because you have to be just outside of 12 when you come in at them. 
So you essentially, so what you're talking about here is you essentially take a crew screen, you measure their max distance, you put it, you put it just off where they can't get past you. And then if, then even if they charge and do all that, they can't be 12 off and they can't declare it. So like they can't kill the crew screen before they finish moving. So they're always going to have to end, you know, one inch from the crew. So if you're 12 inches back from the crew, even if all the crew are dead, they're then like 12-ish inches away from you or 12-point-ish inches away from you. And then they just can't, they can't yeah. declare the charges. So it might as well be forever at that point in time because it doesn't make yeah. any difference. And he's got so many big base things that mm-hmm. you can actually make some fairly large holes that they can't move through. Yep. Because he's got the base plus an inch on either side, so those units of crew can actually with and uh, you, did you have crew hounds in your list, Quinn? I had two units of crew hounds and two yeah. units of crew. Yeah, the the crew hounds, for instance, it can move really far. Plus the advance, so you can mm-hmm. you can really shut off a lot of the board for movement, and then they get destroyed. But you just don't care because they they've then completely done their purpose in life, which is to make crisis suits feel better about themselves. Cow also have an incredibly powerful strat that's very underutilized, in my opinion. It's called, I think it's designated tasking. And essentially, it's in your command phase. You pick a unit that has both drone and non-drone units, and they become two separate units, one containing all the drone units and one containing all of the non-drone units. So if you have, say, an ethereal and one marker drone, like I do, you can split them off. And then that one marker drone becomes a unit of one model who can go on an adventure off by himself. And if there's a really big based model, he can sit in between a ruin and be annoying. They can't move through it. And if he dies, he costs like eight points. So you don't care. I, I, I literally love everything about that. Yeah. We actually had that come up like a week or two ago. Um, they were doing Crusher Stampede and a side. A side hairdo was just standing, looking at one drone going, so I'm not allowed to move through that entire place because this drone is standing in front of me. <laughs> I did it to Jack to get stranglehold, and he just looked at me and he was like, huh, you're going to get to a solo marker drone. So yeah, I was like, yes, I am. His name's Ted. He's very uh, proud of himself. <laughs> I got a lot of questions, Quentin, and I feel like I've, I got to save them all for part two, man. I'm uh, Brad, what else you got for us in part one here? I got a ton of stuff in part. Well, I got stuff for everything. Oh, no. I have so many things that are in part two, though. So if you play that game, I mean, this is something that we usually ask in part two, but playing the game, you've played Mark a billion times. Uh, you've played everybody in the Art of War crew a lot. If you play this again, how confident are you if this was basically 2020? We're not redoing anything yet, but you came in with same list, same everything. You play... One more time, how confident are you that you're winning this game? Even with him going first, you just playing your game with 2020. New secondaries and stuff? Yeah, like you get to play this game again. Uh, he still goes first. Everything's still the same, but you just you choose your secondary. 70%. Yeah. I feel like if I had one more full turn of shooting, which with some clever placement I can totally do, um, then he's just kind of cooked. Um because I kill 700 to 800 points of his stuff every time I open fire. So if I can do that twice, he just doesn't have any stuff left. Yeah, he just limps in it. It doesn't matter. You can actually yeah. start winning combats at that point in time. Yeah. You're like, cool, right? I've, I've made a joke about crisis suits being bad in combat. A squad of five crisis suits, shockingly not bad in combat. Like, it's, just a, it's volume. <laughs> yeah, they have, if you have Shadow Sun, they get the rerolls and you end up with like, 20 attacks 
not bad. They killed my hive tyrant. Yeah. Like, sometimes <laughs> you just spike up, and if there's strength five, like, it just beats them to death. 100%. How does that, we have any questions? Oh, I would say, we got a we got a blue-eyed baby. We've got a dog. I mean, Blake is just letting us down, man. He shaved his beard up. I'm really glad that this is only an audio podcast, everyone, because Blake went from a magnificent beard to it's it's shameful. It's just my shameful. hair. My hair is still red, which my I'm hair is ashamed to admit. Uh, I, I, I would color my hair, except for if there's not very much to color. Yeah, that, the fact that it's so more blue. My beard's so white that it doesn't show up on camera. <laughs> so, <laughs> but like, like, what do we have? Do we have any questions for Quentin this week from everybody? <clears throat> Sorry, I just uh, my my wife walked in with a baby and two dogs, and like this mayhem ensued. So uh, I walked away for a second. Could you repeat that for me, Brad? Here, do we have any questions from everybody for Blake, or do we or for Blake for Quentin? And if we do not, what do you have for questions for him on part one before we grill him under the bright lights of the Bradning? I have. I'm playing Tao, and you're doing a lot of things that I think is pretty cool. And so I have a lot of questions about things. Things I'm going to talk about are going to be, I want to ask you about the Pathfinders for sure, because I'm very curious how they performed. And I want to know a little bit more about the stealth suits and the crude hounds. So I'm going to, I'm going to save all that for part two, man. Cool. I have, I have, Lots of opinions on, and I think they all do excellent things. I'm excited for it. I'm very excited for it. You know what we're going to end with, though? Over the course of the weekend, what no. was your MVP? No. And what was on the And what unit is now on the chopping block? MVP, burst cannons, cyclic crisis suits. That unit with buffs kills everything. I mean, everything. It's 60 shots at strength 6, AP 2, rerolling ones to hit, fully rolls to wound, just goodbye. And then you have 15 shots at strength 9, AP 4, 2 damage, rerolling ones to hit, full rerolls to wound. Blake what, just walked away again. Um, what, what is on the cutting board after the weekend? He's, I can't even, I'm laughing so hard because this is like my, my signature question that I ask. And he specifically tries to ask it before I can ask it. Almost all the time, but I only ever ask it in part two. So I jumped the gun. I can't believe you did that. The answer (laughs) is unfortunately the Pathfinders and Devilfish. I have a lot to say about Pathfinders. The TLDR there is that Pathfinders, excellent unit. Devilfish, one of the best transports in the game. Crisis suits, so obscenely broken, it's not even funny. So it's not that Pathfinders are bad, Pathfinders are great. If this was any other codex, I'd love Pathfinders. They move seven, they fire and fade, they get marker lights, they have really good consistent damage, they give your army plus one to hit, they can get rerolls easily, they're core infantry, they're in a devilfish, they're pregame moves. You can move devilfish, get them out and rod because they're infantry, they're excellent. Really excellent units, they're not that expensive. Unfortunately, it's 200 and some odd points for the package, but like, I'd rather just be crisis suits. Yeah. It's another unit of crisis suits. You're like, yes, they are awesome, but these guys are way more awesome. If you read every one of my Tau lists that like I'm writing these days, and Seagler too, my my list is crisis suits, units that support crisis suits, and units that get points so the crisis suits don't have to. Because the <laughs> crisis suits table you in two to three turns every single time. You're not wrong. That's part fair. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us, man. We're gonna we're gonna switch it over to the Brad Hour, the Bradning. 
part dosed, whatever you'd like to call it. Art War Unbroken After Dark? I don't know. After like, Hours. Yeah, the Stallion Power Hour. I don't know. There's, there's all <laughs> kinds of... Uh, Power Hour. Yeah, well. All right, man. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure to check out all of our awesome, awesome, awesome content at theartofwar40k.com. Make sure to check out our other podcast, The Art of War Vanilla, with the very, very, very Kiwi Steve Joel and the boy king John Lennon. And also make sure to check out the American podcast, The Art of War Down Under, with the late and very great Adam Camilleri. We, of course, are the pistachio of the Art of War family, The Art of War Unbroken. Didn't know you loved us till you tried us. Thanks for listening, everybody. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.